to always get the latest Game Tea, do not forget to follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook at The Game Tea Podcast, and you can find us on Twitter at Game Tea Podcast X. We post memes, gaming news, retweet friends of the pod, and of course, let you know when new episodes are available for your listening pleasure. Links are all available in the description of this episode, so check them out after the show, and thank you so much for listening to The Game Tea Podcast. And welcome to another episode of the Game Tea Podcast. My name is JP. I'm Zach. And I'm Zar. Alright, so Zach alluded to it, and we've been promising him for a little while that once the dust once the dust settled, once his thoughts were in place, we were gonna give him a full episode to finally talk about Xenoblade 3. Here we are. This is it. We have made it to the summit. <laughs> we did Zach. The floor is yours. I don't even know how you want to start this one. Um, I guess, first of all, before you actually get into, like, the nitty-gritty of each category you want to talk about, first initial thoughts. What did you think? Was it what you hoped it would be? Do you think, for all the hype, it was worth it? First off, I want to start this off with kind of kind of tying this in. Why should you give two shits what Mr. Zach thinks? <laughs> All right. That's good. Establish the ethos. Okay. So I don't know if it was like a donkey video or maybe it was a mixture of like Game Explain or it's just my general apathy towards game critics. I think it was Game Explain. You want to find someone that you can relate to to give you an honest opinion on a video game. Right. Because this is video games is a different media. Like it's not like you're just sitting down to watch a movie for two hours. Like you're, you're investing a substantial amount of time usually into a, a product, a purchase for $60. Man. Sure. At and least. with that comes a lot of bias in the reviews. True. Right. So why me? Why listen to me? Well, first off, I think I'm cute. Um, <laughs> my mom, cute my mom tells me that, so I appreciate her. Oh, and Kathy's never wrong. Thank you, finally. That's what she'd tell you, at least. <laughs> Shout out to Kathy. Shout out to Kathy. With that, I have also um, I have lots of adventures on JRPG games, and Xenoblade Chronicles 3 is a JRPG. So if you are someone who doesn't like JRPGs, there is a very low chance that this game will be the JRPG coup uh, to you that will just get you totally into JRPGs. Nice verbiage. So, yeah. So let me ask you this. How have game reviewers treated the first two Xenoblade games? Did you find... Because I'm assuming you've looked at lots of them, right? Did you find that most of these game reviewers gave fair reviews of the first two Xenoblade games? Okay, so Xenoblade Chronicles 1... Um, originally came out in 2011, the tail end of the Wii's uh, life cycle. Like, the Wii U was just coming out. It might have been out when the Wii U came out because of how weird Nintendo of America was treating this. Nintendo of America did not want to release the game, even though, like, Nintendo of Europe already pretty much translated the game. Yeah. And so all they really had to do was ship it and do all that shipping cost, but they were like, there's just no way it'll be uh, a thing. It'll just, it just won't sell. It won't make its money back. It just wouldn't be as well received to the American audience. Right. Makes sense. Right. They're just full on JP, ignorant as always. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. JP's That's me. <laughs> just want to crap on them for that. Um, and so there was this big Operation Rainfall where um, a bunch of Nintendo supporters said, hey, we want to get Xenoblade to the West along with, I think there was like two more games on the Wii. Totally forgetting their names, but that you know that's not really relevant to this discussion. Um, and so there was a lot of public press around it mm -hmm. and it eventually did come out spoilers duh right um <laughs> to america and Spoiler alert, it, came. it was very controversial with how it came because nintendo struck a deal with gamestop and gamestop kind of um controlled all the supply of it and so they would there's reports and i think they were verified um, that Game, uh, side note, GameStop should not be in charge of the supply chain for literally anything, <laughs> no. except Pop Fun Funko figures. Now we don't have an uh, official link source for this, but no, go I, on, Zach. I can find it on Twitter. I am the source. <laughs> I am the source. <laughs> um, but they would open the copies and then sell it for use. And since there was such a low supply of it, they would mark it up. So you'd be paying sixty-five, seventy dollars for a Wii game. Um, that God, was literally damn. just opened. Right. And so if 
you know, I'm sure that wasn't all game stops, but there was precedent there that that happened. And so the reason I'm giving you all this backstory is there was a lot of um, public presentation on these games. And so it scored nine out of tens. Like people wanted, like this was the JRPG to end all JRPGs. Like uh, they gave it 10 out of tens, nine out of tens was a general consensus for the first one. Right. Um, and that came out, it was released in Japan, I believe, in 2011. Um, and so Xenoblade Chronicles X came out on the Wii U in 2015. And it was on the Wii U, so it obviously didn't sell and move mountains. It did sell, like, 2 million copies, which that's like a 13th of how many Wii U sold. So that's still pretty good. <laughs> I was yeah, going to no say, kidding. that sounds like double the Wii U sold. <laughs> right. And so, like, it did really well, but it was on the Wii U. And I still, to this day, am hoping that... Um, my Nintendo Switch can be the full Xenoblade experience and they'll port Xenoblade Chronicles X because it's like, it's more sci-fi-y and it's more like, it's almost like an MMO like because of all the like stuff they do there. But yeah, that's besides the point. And that game got 9 out of 10s, 10 out of 10s. There were some like 8-ish out of 10s-ish. Um, and then Xenoblade Chronicles 2 came out in 2017 um, and it got really good reviews, eights, nines, and tens. The the biggest right. thing that people were mad about was the um, very anime style. It shifted from that realistic ish. I mean, it was a Wii game, so I'll just you know realistic. <laughs> I was with gonna say like <laughs> Nintendo um, realism. <laughs> but Xenoblade Chronicles Two went into a very much more anime uh, style, and they also went into anime tropes where you have these ginormous boobs. Um, and you had boobs physics, and the boobs would move. Boobs them. physics? <laughs> they had a separate department devoted specifically to that. And so that was one of the main gripes, along with it was just kind of a very overwhelming JRPG experience. Um, as you guys know, that's one of my favorite games of all time. Um, totally irrelevant about the boob physics. I mean, I, I'm a man who appreciates it adds. It adds. appreciates a good, a good bust. You know, I'll be honest, but that wasn't the main selling point for me. Um, so... Yeah, and that game, yeah, eight nines out of tens, ten out of tens. So, and imagine if the bust was—you just go for the boobs, and you're like, you know what, the story's kind of fire. <laughs> uh, and so, Xenoblade, Monolith Soft—I I think I did a whole thing on them already on the podcast. They are an amazing developer. They are responsible for helping with like Splatoon, Animal Crossing, Breath of the Wild. Fuck, they helped Mario Kart at one point. Like, I mean, these guys have done it all. Yeah. Um, like these guys are just amazing developers. Um, and they have kind of a funny backstory in connection with Final Fantasy. And so they were like, we want to make a better Final Fantasy. And I, I would argue that they are very much, there's a back and forth. There's always going to be, you know, what you like and what you don't like. Um, so did I answer your question there, JP? For the most part, yeah. It was really nice to get all of that backstory. Um, I have one more question, but before I do, Zar, do you have any questions? Um, I don't necessarily know if I have any questions, but I guess I will comment on... I didn't realize that the entire Xenoblade series wasn't on the Switch yet, because I knew I... It seems I, like it should be, right? Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> you can buy the Chronicles 1 and 2 collection uh, built, built together on the Switch, but I had no idea that Chronicles X, yeah. or just X? Yes. Yeah, I had no idea that that, was, that wasn't there yet. Yes. And slight tangent, there there are rumors that they're remaking because Bandai Namco and Nintendo they tight, all right? They tight, they tight. <laughs> all right. There there's rumors that there may be a Xeno Saga trilogy remake too. So like this Ooh. is gonna be the true like Monolith Soft machine, honestly. Sure. Well, I, I mean, like Xenoblade has established themselves kind of as a Nintendo exclusive at this point. I oh, mean, no, they own Nintendo owns yeah. Monolith Soft. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So why not? I think you're going along the lines though of like now it's also a really well established yeah. franchise too. Yeah. Now that it's had its time to spread its wings and grow, and people really have received it well, why doesn't Nintendo put this front and center as one of their like main focused IPs up along the lines of like Zelda, Mario, Kirby? The only thing I can think of is because. And this is going to, like, go into the question, right? But, like, the audience reception of it in America, while good, is it going to be as powerful as in Japan? And that actually leads to my next question for you, Zach, which is, obviously, this game is huge in Japan. What has the American reception to Xenoblade in general been like? And then the reception to Xenoblade 3? Uh, it's been overly positive. I feel like there's a very outspoken... Um player base in america and that helps scale off sales um because they sell they i think xenoblade chronicles one which has been released on the 3ds the wii the wii u virtual console and now the nintendo switch with the definitive edition has like they've 
sold a grand total of like around three to four million copies. Um, so like for a JRPG, that's pretty good. I mean, I'm trying yeah. to get what Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy have sold. Like Final Fantasy VII obviously is a huge exception because that is like the, when you imagine JRPG, that's the JRPG. Final Fantasy, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then Xenoblade Chronicles 2 was was famous because it sold like over two million copies in its first like two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Xenoblade Chronicles 3, it's like selling pretty, pretty well generally. I, I think I see your point with like uh, America versus like Japan as well as like JRPG it's got it in the title Japanese role playing games um, but I'd say there's a pretty good audience here as well at least like I guess know. in my mind it's not necessarily that we don't have the audience for it it's just that like Americans who are seeking a JRPG experience already have the established franchises that they like you know for example Final Fantasy obviously is huge here in America too or like the Persona series has gotten a huge following here in America. And Xenoblade being around for only about a decade, you know, it's just when it comes to giving games chances, within America, it's harder for a new JRPG that has not had the following yet to really break through here in America as well as it does in Japan. Right. That's why if you ask most Americans, even if they are big-time gamers, most of them are not going to know what Octopath Traveler is. Even though Octopath Traveler, you know, I know we meme on it all the fucking time, but it was extremely well-received in Japan. Yeah, that that's fair. And, I mean, I guess I don't really see a lot negative or even, like, dismissing of Xenoblade on social media. I just don't see a lot of advertisement for it. Like, if somebody who is an American Twitter poster and they make some comment on Xenoblade, like, it's genuine, generally good. Like, I have not seen anything negative. It's just not a lot. Uh, That's the thing. Uh, I agree with you. It's not that it's negative. It's not that it's dismissive. It's that it's not there. And I'm just wondering how many people actually know about the game is is my question. Your average Nintendo fan. Right, like if you, not the three of us who run a uh, gaming podcast, but like the same fan who fucking adores Animal Crossing: New Horizons, do they know what Xenoblade is? They could tell you what Breath of the Wild is, even if they don't have a vested interest in the game. Right. That uh, that's what I, we were trying to ask about, you know. Yeah, and I, I see your point. So yeah, I, like I kind of answered it with what you said. So, but the I'm good news you. is you you're absolutely right in that this is the third iteration of the game. It got here, people didn't know what to do with it, and now it's really putting the roots in. It's already been doing that, and honestly, from what you've been saying, it sounds fucking incredible. So, now's the time, man. Talk about the game in detail. Let's go. Where do you want to start this conversation? Uh, So, my credentials, okay? Clearly, I'm a Nintendo fan, so I'm biased. (laughs) You don't say! (laughs) Secondly, I did play Final Fantasy VII Remake. Um, I loved it. I beat it, so it like, was I, outstanding. God it damn. was a, it was a great game. I wish they would have put you know. I wish it wasn't forty hours, right? It wasn't it wasn't like I mean, sure if you did the side quest, it can get you longer. Their whole their whole spiel was they cut it up into two halves from the original, and well, you know, it's three it's three parts now. Jesus Christ! The meme is that everybody needs a backstory now within that game. Like the bouncer at the door has a backstory. Like that's absolutely true. There's a four hour tangent where the bouncer at the door. You go through this thing with him. He's got it's it's more than a meme. So uh, yes, and I've also uh, played Dragon Quest Eleven. So like I like to say, I'm very invested in my JRPGs. Um, I, I bought Scarlet Nexus. I bought uh, what was the other one that came out that was kind of new? Uh, it's not. It's the Tales of series. So Tales I, of Arise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very uh, you know I'm very spread as far as the JRPGs. Right, goes. you've given everything a fair chance, and. Um, that being said, JRPGs are, sorry, ginormous. Um, and so my, my point being in this conversation will be why, if you're a JRPG fan or even a Nintendo fan, should you play Xenoblade Chronicles 3? Right. And just knowing that, hey, like, I'm I'm pretty well-rounded here, um, so I'm trying to give it a fair shake. But Xenoblade is one of my favorite series of all time, and it's, it's came that way kind of naturally. Um, so, yeah, I think my favorite play to start, favorite place to start would just be in the gameplay. Let's um, talk about the gameplay, because even from what I remember from what I played from Xenoblade 1, the gameplay was what draws you in. It's pretty good. So this is the fourth game 
third numbered entry because X was kind of weird. Fair um, enough. This is a JRPG first and foremost. There yes. is leveling. Um, there's not really grinding, um, and it's huge. And so I, I'm saying all this to tell you that it's been iterated on to where they know what JRPG gamers want. They want to explore. They don't want to feel like they're stuck on a set path, but that set path, the story, is amazing. Right. Um, but they know that if you're like me, you see a piece of candy and you just kind of go that way. A <laughs> piece of candy. <laughs> um, and so the beginning, the first like two to five hours, is pretty structured. Uh, there's not a lot of like, you know, there's a lot of walls, stuff that'll just keep you going that straight, right. straight way. Um, and that way they can also just build a really good tutorial segment so that you know what you're doing, but also be invested in the characters. I mean, not every game can be Breath of the Wild where they give you full reign right off the back. You know, that's a very rare. Like, even if you give the ability of like open world, quote unquote, or just even like a semi like, you, you still need a tutorial. Well, and I, I think Bethesda games in that regard. Like, as soon as Fallout 4 starts and you step out of the vault, you have zero direction. You have zero tutorials. You just take off in a straight line and hope you find something useful. Yeah, pretty and, much. And so, like, that structure, that beginning structure of giving you a narrow hallway, but with just lots of portraits of what's going to be happening in the game... And then you, when you hit the end of that hallway, it just opens up into the open world. Mm. You're already know you already know what you're supposed to do. Exactly, and I love that. Exactly. And so they very much that first four hours is kind of like I don't know how long it'll take because I was obviously like I wanted this to last me a while. I wanted the full experience, so I think I was killing every mob. Um, which I realized was a bad thing, which I'll get into in a second. <laughs> I was you know looking at every shiny thing. And so we'll talk about those shiny things. So you play as Noah, Lands, uh, Uni, that's like your, um, gosh, Agnes team. No, wait, Keeves, Keeves, sorry. You could say any name and I'll be like, <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. Well, I, <laughs> I remember there was some debate on Keeves and Agnes. I don't remember what yes. what about. Keeves, but... <laughs> our good friend Keeves. Keeves. And so the Keeves people are, uh, yeah, Noah, Lands, and Uni. And then there's the Agnes people. Who are Mio, Tyon, and uh, my favorite girl. Uh, or, no, my gosh, I'm saying her name wrong even now. Hold on. I got it written down. Senna. I was going to see her with Lance. Um, Senna. Okay. So, yeah. And you get to know those characters. What I really love about this, which is not really to do with the JRPG thing, but uh, the Keeves people are Xenoblade Chronicles 1. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, I mean like very much. They are similar to the archetypes. Like Lands is very similar to Ryan. Yeah. Uh, Noah is very similar to Shoal. Does he say what a couple of joke is? No, he wants something a bit media. All right, you'll get it. You'll get it when you play. <laughs> you'll get it when you play. Yes, that's something I will do anyway. Um, and yeah. And then Agnes is just like Xenoblade Chronicles 2. And that goes into the gameplay segments as well. And we'll get into the combat a little bit. But yeah. Okay, so Noah is an offseer who, like, plays a flute. And that is a big part of it, because when he plays the flute, he's sending off the dead into, like, the world. And when you do that, like, it's optional. You don't have to do it. Right. Um, But you build, like, colony relations doing that, and, like, you kind of up your swagger with everybody so you can uh, get, like, little benefits. Like, it's just a bunch of gradual things that are optional that slowly make you super powerful. So what Mm. you're telling me is this party has a bard. Yes, two bards. <gasps> Excellent. Oh, my God. You need a bard. You need the bard. They're essential. Two bards? Two bards. That's the ultimate team right there. Like, yeah. if I could have a team of bards, that would be the best team. I think a rogue and a bard usually go well together. No, right? no, no. Full bards. Just, well, like, just, a, a team of just like a full football team of kickers. <laughs> what the fuck? Full <laughs> That's bards. That's an awful idea. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, continuing on with the like the JRP gameplay, like, it's it's a huge world where there's, like, a bunch of little things. Like, there's... I'm trying to remember all. There's, like, a normal enemy. There's a gold enemy, which is, like, almost guaranteed to drop something that you're going to need later in your adventure. Mm. Um, then there's, like, a gold, sparkly, super strong enemy. And then there's, like, a unique enemy, which is, like, your mini bosses, pretty much. Um, and so you just kind of, like, see stuff in the world, and you want to go explore it and kill it. There's also secret yeah. areas where you get, like, special points that we'll get into when we talk about the combat uh, that build your character up and make them stronger. So what I'm saying is... If you don't go straight towards the main story and you get distracted, you never feel like you're wasting your time. 
And um, I, it, that's really awesome. And I know it's not completely open world, right? It's more pseudo open world where like yeah. you do have linearity, but there's a lot of f- more freedom than your average game that is linear, essentially, right? Correct. And my favorite thing was I would see something that was like, they would clearly not want you to go this way because there's like that level 85 giant monkey that's right. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Mess your day up. But if you're just sneaky enough and you wait for the path and you can get over there and you can click on the treasure chest. Oh, yeah, there's treasure chest. Duh. Um, you Obviously. click on the treasure chest. Or Sorry, I've been playing my PC a lot. You press the A button. You interact with the treasure <laughs> chest. And you'll get a really super awesome item that won't make you like totally overpowered, but you're going to feel like, ooh, that was totally worth being a sneaky ninja for. Now, does Xenoblade 3 reward you for exploration like that? Like, are you going to yeah. find better items or are you just better adventure? Exactly. So you'll get either uh, something that'll help you make your character. There's a talent tree system that'll make you stronger, which I'll get into when we get to combat. Um, and then there's just like experience points that you'll get for that. Um, and what else is there? The items. Yeah, if you get behind that territorial rock art, there's a really good item that you're going to want to want. Sure. It'll so, make you stronger. It's not required, but it'll help. So then these treasure chests, uh, these mobs and everything, are they randomly generated and randomly spawned in or... Uh, oppositely, when you pick up the treasure chest, you sneak around the big monster. Is that treasure chest completely empty for the rest of the game, or will it eventually respawn and be filled? Yep. Um, so it'll once you click on the treasure chest, that's it. It's gone. You, it's like a completionist thing. So okay. Once you get it, you're happy. You get that item. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. And um, like the the rare mobs, I'm pretty sure they just spawn whenever. Like it's just like every five mobs, one's going to be rare. Maybe I don't know the exact math behind it. But yeah, the unique monsters, once you kill them, they are gone. Sure. Um, but you can respawn them if you want to get like special times to, like if you want to kill it faster, or if you didn't get like a special drop that you wanted, you can just refight it over and over. Or if you need to grind, but you won't need to grind, which we'll get into in a second. Um, the, a JRP, I, I'll wait, but a JRPG with no grinding sounds too good to be true. Yeah. <laughs> it's because the, and like when I was like saying, like, the, the grinding is very, like this game isn't easy. Um, but like just playing the game, how an average person wants to play the game or someone who's just trying to enjoy the world, like you're going to be overpowered, honestly. Sure, sure. It's kind of what I learned. And I was kind of like, this was going to be one of my cons about it is I was very much above everything else that I was killing. Um, and there were still parts where I died. Like, I mean, like this game is like, and I was on normal mode. There's a hard mode and there's an easy mode. If you just want to experience a story that I'm going to keep hyping up, just do easy mode, go through it. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, and then you can new game plus it and go back and make it a challenge if you want to. Or you sure, can sure. Be happy that you just spent 60 hours on an amazing story. And obviously it's great that they have that accessibility, right? It's like, look, if, if you just want to be a part of it and have the story, here's easy mode, right? But if you really want to feel like a, this is a huge challenge and an accomplishment once you're done, like here's new game plus or whatever. Well, and I love that about new game plus. Taking everything you earned from the last playthrough into the next one, that just encourages players to play on easy, move to medium, then to hard, then the hardest. Mm-hmm. I, that's how I would play most of the Resident, Resident Evils, uh, any RPG that has a new game plus. Yeah. yeah. And so it has that feature. I just thought it was funny because once I beat the game, there was a level down feature. So you could make the game <laughs> artificially harder. And I was like, I wish I had that before. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like, that's a small tit for tat thing. Like, I still got my butt whooped and I could have put it on hard mode if I wanted to, but I didn't want to because <laughs> I got Xenoblade Chronicle 2 flashbacks. <laughs> um, okay. There's also, like, if you travel by water, uh, you can actually bat. Like, I don't know if you guys played the original Xenoblade 1 or 2, but, like, fighting in water was always a pain. Now it's just totally seamless and beautiful and fun. There's an entire water zone where they kind of flex on you and you get, like, a giant boat to go around in. And the boat is fun. Um, <laughs> I'm glad they did that. Usually navigating around, and this isn't even just a JRPG thing. Usually navigating around in water is fucking annoying, no matter what game it is. So I'm glad they found a way to make that fun. You ever drove a boat in real life? It's no picnic. <laughs> but it is fun. Yeah. Um, and they did a good job making that kind of feel fun because you can go faster, but you don't have full control over it. So it's, it's. I mean, you do have full control over it, but there's... Uh, it's like learning to ride a bike. Okay, there's some you, you can get better at. Is all I'm trying to say. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, and so, the last few things on exploration, um, just that once you discover a place, you can travel there anytime. And like, let's say that you were grinding a little bit when you were trying to sneak past that giant robot or giant uh, monkey. Uh, the monkey slaps you, and you die instantly because it's level eighty. You're level twenty, and you're sad now. Yeah. <laughs> um, anything that you discovered, you you just get set back to the last 
checkpoint you were at. Like, and it's not very far. There's plenty of checkpoints. Sure, sure. Um, but you keep all the items that you got, and you keep all the experience. There's no punishment for dying. They want you to actively explore this world. So there's an autosave feature. Is there a manual save input? Yes. yes. Okay. Love the manual save if they're going to just like rely on autosaves for respawn. 100%. And you know what? I, I actually agree with you. There's some gamers that I think crap on that feature where it's like, well, then what's the penalty for dying? You know, where's the fun of that? And I'm like, it, because it doesn't make you feel like you're, you know, you're playing the game to be punished for dying, right? It makes you want to progress because it's just like, hey, try again, buddy. Hey, don't take save scumming away from me. Is it cheeky and cheap? Absolutely. Am I going to keep doing it? 100%. You're goddamn right I am. Especially if you implement some bullshit that I never saw coming, of course I'm going to save scum. Absolutely. Uh, anyway. <laughs> and so that is all I have on, like, uh, gameplay, which I kind of just want to focus on exploration there. Um, I do want to get to combat in a different segment, so I'm just going to keep going. Let's talk performance. It's a Nintendo Switch game. Yeah, so... <laughs> um, this is one of the best-looking Nintendo Switch games, bar none. I don't think there'll be a lot of games besides Breath of the Wild 2 that get this pretty. Um, even in handheld mode, on my, granted, on my OLED Switch, like I'm just, I was awestruck very often. Um, there's just some gorgeous vistas. But even if you think, because, um, you know, of course, with rumors of Switch Pro, quote-unquote, a lot of people omitted the OLED Switch. They don't want to get it. Obviously, we're the exception to that rule. Do you have an OLED Switch, sir? I do not. I Peasant. still have first. <laughs> <laughs> Poor! I'm just kidding. Poyo. Poyo. Anyway, but I mean, even if you have those first couple models of Switch with the LCD screen, it's still going to look good, right? Right, exactly. And, you know, I would encourage you, if you're like a pixel counter, why are you playing a Switch? But anyway. <laughs> good, um, good point. Good point. You, you would play it on TV mode. Um, but Kirby I, and the Forgotten Land isn't running at 60 FPS. This game blows. <laughs> so this game, I mean, I'm sure there's like a tech foundry that could probably prove me wrong, but it almost rarely goes below 60 frames per second, which when we get into combat with our seven active party members that you can all manually control or are being artificially controlled, plus this gorgeous world, plus... Um, I could have battles of up to 10 enemies at one time. It's a lot of processing for it, such a tiny console. It really is. It's fucking insane, and I think Monolith Soft is just amazing. However, it does have an adaptive performance, and there were times where it kind of would get a little, like, uh, you know, it's they call it, like, butter-looking, like, smooth uh, thing. Things didn't look as sharp. So, like, there is an adaptive resolution, and I'm sure it can get under, like, some certain numbers. But for the most part... Uh, uh, average gamer like myself who doesn't count pixels was like this game is beautiful aside from a few of those ginormous fights that i was talking about which you can clearly see starts to look a little like a 3ds game i think you could you could say that and it's funny because i mean like games like this prove how powerful and the switch is how capable these teams are but there just simply is a limitation that exists because of the hardware like Breath of the Wild is the standard for the Switch in a lot of ways, including, like, visuals. And in that regard, it's really funny even because you can even see that frame drop. Zara and I were talking about this the other day when you, like, warp to the Forgotten Woods or the Lost yeah. Woods or whatever, mm -hmm. and yeah. immediately you're at, like, 20 FPS. Yeah, and things just stop working properly. Most Switch games have that little hiccup. Yeah, absolutely. It's just... The physical limitations of the console. Maybe it'll be better someday. Maybe when there's like a Switch 2 that comes out, the Switch we'll 2? get all of these original Switch games remastered into perfection. But right. like, this is where we're at right now, and it runs pretty damn good. Yeah. And so then I'll go into literally my favorite part is the music and sound. I don't think I realized how important music was until I started getting into the Xenoblade series. And it really feels like they got the composers and held them at gunpoint. And we're like, this will be the last. <laughs> Make this fire. This will be the last song you ever write. <laughs> and when I like tell you, like, every song is like that. I feel like I said like a lot there, but like, shit, I'm still doing it. Now I'm conscious of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like the, the when you fight the like main boss enemies, it's otherworldly. You feel yeah. an existential dread, and you're like, I gotta kill this guy, or I'm, I could die. And it's like so cool. I cannot tell you just how amazing this soundtrack is. Um, it's done by like Ace Plus, and I'm trying to remember who the other 
composer is. My brain is so mad at itself and, for forgetting right now. And it's funny you mention that because, I mean, if you think about, like, just the game awards, which pretty much do set the precedent for, like, what we need to look for in video games, sound design and then, like, music are two separate categories. You oh, know? yeah. So by no means should you be dismissive. If you think the music is fire, that's probably because it is, right? And especially being memorable. Like, say what you will about Kingdom Hearts, Best fucking soundtrack oh, ever. The music absolutely. is just amazing. So don't, if you think the music is amazing, like, that's probably because it is. And, like, even, like, the zones, like, the ambience is there. Like, you have, like, this nice, slow, melodic drifts, and they change from day and night. Um, they, they just do such a good job of putting you in this world, um, which I guess that means we should probably get to the story now. Ooh, I feel like this is going to be the rough one. Strap in. Um, and so, so uh, be as spoiler free as you possibly can. Yeah. And so with spoilers, like if you haven't seen the direct, that's about as far as I'm going to go with this. Um, but basically you are those two groups that I talked about with, um, Noah representing like, uh, Keeves and his two partners. And then you have Mio representing Agnes and their two partners. And they are all six are very important characters. I just already talked on them. So I want to honor your time. Um, <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> they have a life cycle of 10 years. After 10 years, they die. Um, really? They, they fill like what is called a flame clock. And there are these council members, consuls, that are in charge of each colony. And I don't think this is spoilers at all. but Because they look like your typical bad guys. They are bad guys. <laughs> and they are basically feeding on people. Okay. And hey, so, how that? is that not bad? You see that guy with the iPod, the eye patch? Yeah, that's our uh, that's our leader. Actually, Very nice guy. Eats us. <laughs> eats us. No. 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 Well, no. Oh, he's he's a benevolent dictator. <laughs> and so this is like an endless cycle. And so then um, they start over. And so what that means, I'll leave like for you to figure out. But they do say just about that exact wording in the direct. Um, but yeah, once you usually you don't even make it to ten years. Uh, you usually like die on the battlefield. Um, and mm. so when we say 10 years old, like it's usually like where they start is 10 and they die at 20. So like everyone oh, right. looks very young except for uh, the queens and the people of um, – and the queens always wear masks and the, the council members who are always wearing some mask. And um, I'm assuming they're old as fuck because they've been eating and children. Children. <laughs> well, you, don't, you don't know how old they are. And Okay. I won't keep going because that's all the Nintendo Direct says, but yes. Okay. And so you're on this ginormous grandiose adventure to get to the bottom of this and figure out why the world is the way it is, and you're constantly battling it. Um, and they're very exploratory with it, and you can go straight through the side quest, or sorry, straight through the main quest, and you'll get there. You can also do the side quests that really flesh out the characters. Um, you have to do, I think, like Noah and Mio side quest. Yeah, uh, but everyone else is like, you can choose it or not choose it. But I chose it obviously because I was like, sure, I want to know, sure. I want to know what's going on here. And there's just natural points like on the map, you'll see, ooh, question mark. I better go check out what's well, over there. Something that drives me crazy is when like that backstory is optional in games. Not that specifically. That I think is awesome. What drives me crazy is then when people don't do a single fucking side quest. They go through the main quest. And then they're like, there was no depth to any of these fucking characters. It's like, yeah, no shit. Like, she I didn't explore the Exactly. Deck. Like, what's the point of being someone who wants to play a JRPG if you're not going to explore, if you're not going to get that story? Like, what the fuck? And there are some groups of gamers that do get really pissed off that the deeper story mechanics have to be explored in side quests. They want all of the information cut and dry in their main quest. I don't like that at all. I, think I, don't, I don't either. Yeah. I think that... The main quest's design is to tell a story, is to tell the game's story. The rest of the information built upon the lore and everyone's backstory should be explored on a player's own time. Completely agree. Because that's part of the reward. Yes, 100%. Seconded. But, uh, you know, video games have grown so much. I, I, I feel for these developers. Like, how do you meet JP and that random person who doesn't like that in the middle? You know what I mean? Mm. Um, and so I think they, they strike a good balance of it. Um, if you're like me and you want to know every nook and cranny of this world, you can. If you just want the you know TLDR big story, which is not to knock it, it's an amazing story, um, you, can, you have that option. Okay. Um, 
And even the side quests, like your typical JRP side quests, there are a few of those, but for the most part, they always flesh out a character. Um, there's very few generic characters. There, That's good. There is, like, I don't know if you played, I think you did start the Xenoblade, like the affinity chart. Um, there's, like, hundreds of, like, named characters that have these intricacies to them, and they, they explain it, and they check it out. Yeah. There are those typical, like, save grandma's cat from tree. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's every, the most important quest. Every JRPG starts that way. <laughs> Kingdom Hearts started that way. Oh, Kingdom, Kingdom Hearts, Hearts too. has a lot of that Roxas shit. Roxas <laughs> is like, can you lock onto my kitty? <laughs> um, and so that is the story in a very vague nutshell. It is amazing. It is well thought out. Um, let me. It is a JRPG, though, so it gets a little crazy. So let me ask you this. So a question I've asked before. But something I want you to hit home on, you do not need to have played the first two games to understand the story of this one, right? Absolutely. It's a totally, it's its own thing. There are some very, uh, what do you call it, fan service things that happen that only, you don't have to have to make the story better, but the people who have played it, the two, three prior games. And that's great that they put in those, uh, that's great that they put in that nod for people who have put in the time. I love it when they do that. And I, I know some people are like, oh, they locked someone behind DLC. There is a DLC expansion pass coming out. You're still getting a wonderful game before that. And that DLC is mostly for the people who have just turned into diehard Xenoblade fans like myself. It's just like, when you think about Xenoblade Chronicles 2, that was fan service. And so I, I'm imagining they haven't announced it just yet. Uh, but it is very much going to be a fan service sure. thing. That's going to kind of wrap up the Xenoblade Chronicles series with a nice little bow. So well, it, it sounds like there's way more than enough content to justify paid DLC. Like, the game is finished. You're not paying for DLC to finish right. the game. Like, DLC in itself is not the problem. Mm-hmm. Even if it is relatively close to the release, although I don't know when this DLC is coming out, but like, Xenoblade 3 has been out for a hot minute now. To me, it's like, did you release a finished product? And if not, but you're also putting out DLC... Why the fuck would you not just put that DLC into the game? That is not what's happening here with Xenoblade. It sounds yeah. like the the Xenoblade experience in itself is fantastic, and the DLC is going to do nothing but add on to how amazing that is. That's okay. Yeah. There is a start-to-finish story there. And Precisely. You don't have to wait several months just to finish it, and yeah. that's, that's good DLC. Zach, the other question I wanted to ask, because you said uh, story-wise... Nothing you need to know from the two prior games. It all helps, but you know, if you just hop into Xenoblade Three, you're going to be fine. What about reoccurring characters? Is there anybody from the other games that show up in Xenoblade Three? Not going to answer that question. No. Why is that spoiler territory? Uh, that I would definitely classify that as spoiler territory. Ooh. I'm not saying it does or doesn't happen. I'm just not going to answer that question. Well, I'm going to. Okay. Gonna... Okay. This is coming from somebody who has never played Xenoblade. This is all speculatory based off of what I've seen. But considering that people only live for 10 years, I'm going to say that there's probably not too many reoccurring characters. Use right. Use right. Fair enough. And that's just some brief czar speculation. <laughs> so, Fair. Fair. Um, and so that is the game in a nutshell. Explore the world. Save it from bad guy. Profit. Now, I mean, that's the standard. If you break down a TLDR of any game, that's the plot, right? right. Profit. So, uh, profit. That's, that's what everybody cares about. So, uh, so I mean, like, with, uh, the problem here is obviously you can't get too much into it without getting into spoilers. So the best thing to do for those listening at home is to give it, like, kind of a comparison to another common JRPG. Like, think about the quality of the storytelling in Final Fantasy VII Remake, for example. Would you say that the storytelling in Xenoblade is on par with that? Better? What do you think? That's I a, think That's a, a loaded question right there. I think a more narrowed question could be, is the story easily accessible through the gameplay? Like, you don't have to try to pick up on weird side conversations, or you didn't read this note that was sitting on the coffee table, so now you don't know who the main villain is or something like that. It's all pretty cut and dry oh, and yeah. laid out for you. This is, this is like I said, their fourth game, so it's very well directed and you kind of know exactly what's going on. Mm. Um, but obviously it's a JRPG, so there are some twists and turns. I was going to argue, like, I think Final Fantasy VII does a very bad job of making the characters likable, like Cloud, for a specific reason is the way he is, but he's a very generic mercenary. Tifa... You, you's right. 
as waifu material as she is, <laughs> just kicks ass and is indecisive for a good portion of the game. And is that fair to say for remake? Sure. Besides, okay. Aerith is Bay, in my opinion. But oh, that's no fun. facts. 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 <laughs> do like Aerith a lot, but you know, for obvious spoiler reasons, I can't stay too attached to her. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've been hurt before, JP. Oh shit. <laughs> Whoa. That's funny. That was <laughs> that's really funny. Don't get too attached. Like Barrett is my favorite character because he has the most clear motive that drives the plot along. The rest of them are just kind of like, "Woo, we're doing this." I know, <laughs> and they're badass doing it, but like they're just not developed and- characters. Whereas like Xenoblade is like <laughs> every character is very well defined. You learn about their backstory. They don't they don't make a lot of stupid decisions. I'm trying to think of one. I can't think of one on the top of my spot, but to, there probably is. To go back to Final Fantasy VII for just a second, I know you like Barrett because he resembles you so much. There's a point. Do you remember the point where you're just walking through the empty hallway and there's nothing going on for like two minutes and Barrett just yells, This sucks! <laughs> yeah. That's you. You need action. And then he sings the theme song for you. Yeah. Slaps. Oh my god! Um, okay. I, loved, I loved Barrett too. <laughs> so, All right, so, so we're the main story is huge. Yeah, the characters are very well devo- developed. As well, I was saying there, I'm not trying to take away Final Fantasy VII. Love Final Fantasy VII. It's I just thought game. it'd be easy to come up with a comparison since you can't give spoilers here. Yeah, I I like these characters because they all have their own thing that they bring to this identity crisis when you only live for ten years. The world's very bleak, and so like certainly you, you explore a lot of depressing topics and they take that in a very real sense and I can relate with at least two or three of these characters very well because of how I deal with those terrible emotions and I just I love that in a video game mm-hmm. um, and you know what come to think of it you're right Final Fantasy 7 then would not have been the best example because you're right there's so many characters that are so one note that it hardly impacts the story when something happens to him, like when Jesse dies in Final Fantasy VII Remake. Spoilers. <laughs> no, but for a game that's been out for years. Plus, we're not talking about that game. True. True. Like when Jesse died, though, I didn't feel shit. I didn't care at all. What? See, I cared a little. She was annoying. She was cute. Would you have cared as much as she wasn't? Yeah. Because we also got to learn about her backstory and her family. Yeah, everybody gets a backstory. You get a backstory. You get a backstory. That was part of the meme. But, like, (laughs) she was a cute, like, little dancer. And, like, you get to see, like, a little picture of her as a kid. And I was like, aw, she's going to die. She's going to die. (laughs) Like, like they're really setting this up. Oh, she's dead. She's dead, man. I know too much now. (laughs) Oh. It's a cute kid. Too bad they die. Although you could apparently say that in Xenoblade 3, too. Like, (laughs) be a shame if you only live 10 years. God, that. This game is like, oh, and it's it's beautiful too. Like it's just very, it's a very real. Like they they approach it. Like obviously, a story isn't real, but like it, they approach it in these scenarios in a very real perspective. Like this is how a human would be react. Real. It doesn't have to be real though for like real character moments to shine through that are relatable, right? It doesn't like, have to be real to feel real. Exactly, and so that's what's great about video games. Yeah. Now we're finally getting to my favorite part of the game, which I won't spend a crazy amount of time on. But Even though com- you could. The combat. <laughs> I loved Xenoblade Chronicles 1 for its simplicity. As someone who played World of Warcraft, it felt very much like an MMO. And um, that you have these skills, they have a cooldown, you wait for the skills to come b- off while you auto-attack. And there's a lot of nuances to make it better, make your abilities better, progress it. Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is where uh, you could do all these little fancy mechanics. Every time you auto-attack, your cooldown gets shorter, so it would war you for like, you know... Continue to auto-attack, even though it may be dangerous or whatever. Um, It literally has this class system where you have Xenoblade Chronicles 2 theme characters, Xenoblade Chronicles 1 characters, and then there's these things called fusions art, which is where, like, they can, like, fuse together. Yeah. And so you're literally making the best of both worlds, and all of them are, I mean, like, I'm sure there's some people who are, like, super hard mode or trying to do a speed run. Aside from those people, every character is very viable and very fun, and you're guaranteed to find someone that you like. Yeah. There is your typical sword fighter, which felt very much like Shulk in Xenoblade Chronicles 1. Then there is your dual-wielding gun ether cannon guy who focuses on dodging and shooting people in the face. (laughs) And everything in between. Classic. (laughs) Uh, There's, like, buff characters. There's, um, There's a character who you can develop that can literally steal all the boss's abilities throughout the game. Huh. That's cool. 
Uh, and there's just like 19 other classes, and that's along with the DLC. They're adding in, I'm going to imagine, some fan servicey characters uh, to fill some extra job classes. Um, and then you get to also turn into a robot thing. I don't know how else to describe it. You, you turn into a Gundam where you, <laughs> cool. Noah nice. and Mio, so like the person from Agnes and a person from Keys, they fuse together. Um, and they make the super robot thing that you can also develop through a talent tree and make them stronger over time. And so, like, if you're ever struggling with a boss, you can turn into that robot and it'll, like, there, there's, it's not like a free I win button, but, like, there's so many intricacies with it. Like, every time you battle, you just get better at the game and it rewards you for that. Yeah. Because you can speed it up. And there was a point where, like, you do a chain attack and if you overkill a boss, you get, like, a super absurd amount of experience because you mastered the combat system and it was still very rare yeah um, even for me who's like played both games where i was like oh my god there's this and that and uh, it's just really fun that That's robot good. system against boss battles really kind of makes me think of majora's mask the the oh, boss mask yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not insane deity link but like it's giant link or something like you that. only get to use it literally for that yeah yep, yeah i know exactly what you're talking about and it's kind of like that, but you get to, like, build it every time you get huh. to, or, and make it grow. And there's, like, so, like, there's Noah and Mio, and this was in the direct, so it's not spoilers. Uh, Noah has his own mech form that Noah kind of controls, but Mio's still in there, and then they can swap it. So there's another mech where Mio takes control, and Noah's kind of just in there hanging out. Sure. Hmm. And there's just that duality of it is very intricate to the plot. It's also very intricate to the combat system. I don't want to spoil okay. it or go any more into that. Um Everything is viable. Everything is fun. There's rewards to exploring it. So, like, you can play as a sword fighter, and you'll level up your sword fighting class, and you'll get, like, what's called a talent art. And then, like, if you go and play a different class, you can bring that talent art, once you've mastered it, to the new class. Okay. And so there is just crazy amounts of customization that you can do in this game to literally make your team feel like only your team. Along with that, you get party characters that you get throughout there. And they have hero quests, which you can, like, use to... uh, you get to like level 10 that's the max and then there's a level 20 which is like you have to do a special hero quest that fleshes out that character even sure, more sure. and then your class just turns balls to the wall OP for like every single one of them so in regards to combat one thing I have a question about is the auto attacking system because when you have that and in between like auto attacking your wing for cooldown like it almost seems like you as the player become a little disengaged from the combat almost a little bit, because it seems like everything's almost happening for you automatically. Would you say that's true? What keeps you engaged when mostly the game's doing the work for you? Yeah, it sounds like idle combat. Yeah. I think it's hilarious that you guys say that, because, like, until you play it, like, you don't really, like, know, um, because I'm going to do a job to explain it. But, yeah, at the, at the base level, that might be what it looks like. There are seven characters on there. So there's the six characters that I, I talked about, and then there is a... Um, the seventh like guest party member that you can unlock through time. Yeah. Um, and so you get to play as any of those six characters at any time. There are certain combos that you can do to where like if I use Noah, he can use a break art. And so once he has a break art, um, I can trust the AI to eventually use the next part, which I think is a topple. And then there is a, uh, uh, a daze, which pretty much knocks him out. And then you can like just unload all your damage. You'll do like extra sure. damage when they're in that. Um, so there's a way to mix it up doing that where you can swap between all the characters so you don't feel like there's that idle. There's also, like when you switch characters, the Agnes team, um, every time you auto attack, you speed up the rate at which your art goes. Yeah. And basically that's as you level up, it just the combat speeds up. And so my thought process is, and why I think it's a genius system is as you get better at the system and understand the intricacies of what's going on, mm-hmm. um, you start to see the depth. And it all starts to, like, it literally speeds up because you're not waiting as much. Um, but that waiting is very much a choice. You can speed it up, and that's how you make combat more fun and more engaging. Or you can just sit there and kind of, I mean, it's a JRPG. Like, it's still, like, that. It, it used to be a turn-based battle system, you know what I mean? Like, back in the yeah, day, Final Fantasy Back, systems. oh, yeah. Man. And so, like, this is definitely more action-y. Um, but if you just want to sit there and go on easy mode and watch your character auto-attack, you'll be bored. But you could do that. Or you could make it really, really fast-paced. Like, there, I could kill characters in, like, five seconds because of... <laughs> I guess that might be, like, an overkill. 
um, even though they were at my level. Like, I understood the combat so well that you could blow them up pretty quick. Sure. So there is as much depth there in the combat as you want. I'm not going to go into spell descriptions. I'm not going to go into placement (laughs) arts. I'm not going to go into all that because it's just going to seem overwhelming. We're already confused enough. Yeah. And you're keeping track of six characters. All six characters that That you can unlock 20 different arts or 20 different uh, character classes, which all have different arts, which you can then master the arts and do all these things. So I just want to make sure I make it clear there is no, like, you can do the idle combat. You're, you're really going to screw yourself up if you do that. That'd be boring. So let's talk about for a second uh, leveling up the characters since you just brought it up. Is this skill tree based RPG? Skill tree is in like, you know, you, got three you get this trees. skill to unlock this skill. Or you could go to this tree where you go this skill, which unlocks these and skills. And then each branch just gives you different assets and abilities like... One branch is fire, one branch is ice. Basically, it's a system in an RPG that allows you to choose like what each character is particularly. Yeah. So like, like Borderlands. Common skill yeah. trees. Yeah. I got you now. Okay. Um, there is that for the robots, where you get to kind of choose the path to go on. Um, they're called Ouroboros, by the way. I do actually know what they're called. I'm just saying robots for my people who aren't JPG fans. <laughs> um, so yes, there's that. Uh, there's also these things that you get from killing unique bosses that you don't have to do. Exploring the world. Um, doing those things that we talked about earlier where they generally just, it makes you more powerful just from doing what you want to do in a JRPG. And you can use those points that you get to like make your skills stronger. Sure. So yes, like this is the typical answer I want to go with there. But I want you to know like, it's not grindy. Like, I, I guess you could make it grindy. You could go and do all that. Um, but Well, it sounds yeah. very expansive and it sounds like... Choose your own adventures. Different leveling characteristics are... They look like other games. Like you got part of the game has skill trees, and then the other part is like more attuned uh, skill acquisition. Sure, as like you you find a new spell or a new style of attack, and that's how you level up. It sounds like it's a good mix of the two. Yeah, absolutely. Which actually you don't see in a lot of games. Like yeah. it's usually one or the other. Yeah, they pick one RPG element to focus on. And I think that is synonymous with a true JRPG is there are so many different RPG mechanics yeah. that go into it. Absolutely. And so that is kind of like, I mean, there's gyms, there's cooking, you can eat food. There's a funny bug where the food didn't actually do anything for a little bit, which is such that been patched. Classic JRPG <laughs> things. Um, but yeah. Fishing, can you fish? No. Throw the whole game. Zero out of ten. <laughs> but you can swim in the water and you know those little those little orbs that you can walk over, you get fish from those. Six so. out of ten. Okay. All right. <laughs> no, I wanna waste hours and hours just in <laughs> front of the goddamn water watching my character just throw a line. <laughs> You're not me. I'll tell you that. <laughs> All right. So, so that's kind of my general synopsis of the game, trying to be as unspoiler free and as, as un JRPG scary as I can be. So, uh, well, as we start to wrap this up, number one, Zardy, you have any questions for Zach that you haven't already asked? I don't even know what I could hit on. There were so yeah, many the, new yeah. words in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, number one, with a game as huge as this, and you being a part of the Xenoblade community, what specifically was your favorite part of this game? Was it the story? Was it the characters? Was it the combat? What do you think was the best thing this game has to offer? Even though it has so much. Music, story, combat are greater than or equal to themselves. Those are my three favorite parts. And then I guess as a final question, where do you see the series heading now that you have completed this game? Do you think it's done? Do you think they're just going to start porting all of the remakes? Or do you think that there's going to be a new series coming out? Monolith Soft is currently working on a new IP. Um, they are on record saying this is kind of the natural wrap-up of the Xenoblade Chronicles. That could mean there's a Xenoblade Chronicles 4, just like there's a Final Fantasy 4. Um, just like there's a Dragon Quest 4. You know, yeah. like, they're, they're still very much able to go down that road if they want to. Um, there will definitely be more remakes of Xenosaga and Xenoblade Chronicles X as it becomes more feasible. They kind of do a good job of balancing that out. Yeah. Like, I feel like I'm going to get a new Xenoblade game every year at this rate. Um, now that I say that, there'll be a drought, so... Fuck me, but still. <laughs> you jinxed it. Um, you guys didn't ask me my final score, so I'm definitely going to go with that. I really understand where Game Explain goes with, like, the, you know, I didn't like it, I like it, um, it was fine, and then, like, I really liked it a lot. 
Um, I don't like the zero through ten system because first off, zero through five is pointless um, because that. that's just a shitty unfinished game, probably, or this is how it should be interpreted as based on prior um, redundancies. Sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> whereas seven's like your average game, eight's like a great game, and then nine or ten are some of the best games ever made. Sure. Um, which somehow COD always gets a 9 out of 10. Which yeah, just funny how that works, huh? Blows my mind. I guess it has something to do with paying people, but I wouldn't know. <laughs> um, I So with that, I'm not going to give it a 0 through 10. I'm just going to say I really love this game. Obviously, like I would love it a lot. And I really encourage anyone to try this if you've ever been interested in a JRPG. It's funny when you because when you get a game that's pretty much as close to perfection as it can possibly be because there's no such thing as a perfect game but there are some games that are close which is weird there's nothing to complain about except things that are so stupid to complain about it's hardly worth bringing up for example you want to know what my number one complaint about breath of the wild is there's too many korok seeds uh, okay there's too much to do okay two yeah actually the korok seeds okay my number one complaint about Breath of the Wild is that there's not a cookbook. Yeah. There's no place for me to record my recipes. Do you know how stupid of a complaint that is yeah. for a game that's... It's like for everything else that the game has to offer, you're mad about a cookbook. Yeah, exactly. Like that's, it's, exactly. It's such a trite complaint that... It's, not, that it's and, again, hardly worth bringing up. So, you know, if you don't want to use 0 to 10... That's fine. I, I completely understand it, but I think the more telling thing about how good Xenoblade is is the fact that if you were to start going into any complaints, it would be about shit that just does not fucking matter. Stuff yeah. that does not take away from the experience of playing the game. Yeah, just splitting hairs, uh, something that does not matter to the overarching story. Exactly. This game made me cry a few times. <laughs> That's how you did good. It was really damn good, and I had a really high bar for it. As you know, I hyped this game up. So I, I was really impressed with what they did. And I'm going to replay it eventually. I'm waiting for the DLC to kind of drop a little bit. And then I'll probably go through it on hard mode and see how much I like it when it's kicking my ass constantly. But yeah. Okay, right. I have one last question before we get out of here for the day, boys. Do you think Xenoblade 3 is going to make it to the Game of the Year docket? Fucking better. Fucking better. I don't think it'll win a lot because it's a JRPG and well, that Elden Ring came out. That wasn't the question. Oh, the yeah. question just is, do you think this game will make it to the docket? You know, Elden Ring music slaps. <laughs> I, Xenoblade will probably win a few things. Um, but do you think better it will win best music? But do you think it will be in game of the year docket? Just one category, the big category. What games are <sighs> out? We have Kirby. We have Pokemon Legends Arceus. Kirby, Arceus, Pokemon, I don't think those Stray. Two put out. Um, God, I feel like if Stray gets in, there's no fucking way Xenoblade shouldn't. Not to like shit on Stray. Stray's a beautiful game, but... But what they both represent, I think Xenoblade represents a bit more than a game about a stray cat. And this is right. coming from the cat lover on this podcast. Exactly. And that's not to knock it. I just And of course, we have to look at the big hitters that are coming for the rest of the year, right? I yep. mean, we have God of War promised at the end of the year. Yep. We've got Pokemon games promised for the end of the year. Pokemon probably won't get up there, though, you know? I, they the never best do. family game, whatever. Uh, you know, the Nintendo categories. Nintendo's firing. PlayStation's firing. Xbox is firing. There's going to be a lot of what? competition. but it, No. It's just Elden Ring, God of War. Oh, and Horizon. Oh, is that all? <laughs> well, I mean, like, I'm just saying, like, that's three games. And that's really, like... Don't forget, It Takes Two took it last year. You just don't know who's going to be on the docket. That's absolutely true. It Takes Two won Game of the Year last exactly. year. Exactly. Exactly. But you guys see my point, right? Oh, uh, yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. Xbox really dropped it this year, man. They, yeah, they have not. They've been, uh, yeah. Well, they're, they've been trying to buy up studios and exclusives, and so their, their year and, is And coming. for what it's worth, that's worth something. Just not now. <laughs> Just, well, it's starting to cause a ruckus in the console wars. It Sony sure and, and Microsoft are now a- arguing about all of the buyouts. You're but. making as much money as me. How dare you? <laughs> We're getting off tangent here. <laughs> so, Zach, for a game that you've been hyping up for so long that could possibly be the end of a franchise, I'm glad you had such a fantastic experience playing the game. It's got to be extremely bittersweet. Yes. But also... In a way, you're free now because you can play other games. And what did you do with that freedom? You went back to World of Warcraft. <laughs> you fucking asshole. <laughs> yeah, you did. Can you guys tell I have bags under my eyes? Well, bet yeah. It's been a, it's been a rough the, the listeners can't see. Not worse bags than are usually there. <laughs> Thanks, man. 
All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for this episode. So, Zach, Czar, everyone listening at home, thank you so much for joining us on another episode of the Game Tea Podcast. We'll see you in the next episode. You just got your Game Tea. Please see Play Chronicles 3. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> A Huda Media Production.